The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Go to the aunt, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for just the gift of opening our eyes this morning and being awake and being here to celebrate you and celebrate who you are and who we get to become because of who you are in our lives, Lord. And so as we look at this scripture today and what it looks like for us to lean into our calling as a worker, both paid or unpaid, Lord, wherever we are, I pray that you would humble our hearts and let us be open to the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Janie. All right, good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, one of the pastors here, and um, it's great to be back. Um, So just a little bit, uh, I just got back from Israel yesterday. Uh, It was a 30-hour journey to get back, and so I got back last night, and let's just say I didn't prepare well, right, like for coming back and preaching, but I'm thankful that I'm preaching today because I think that there's just some great um, experiences that I wanted to share with you um, from the trip. So we took uh, seven total from our church and about 42 total in the group um, on this trip to Israel. And it was my first time going there. How many of you have been to Israel before? Has anybody been to Israel? Awesome. I see you, James. What's up, bro? James went on the trip. Um, so for me, it was my first time. And I think that everybody who's a believer should go. That's where I'm at. I'm just like, anybody who wants to know, is this real? You need to go. Um, St. Jerome said this. He said, Five Gospels record the life of Jesus. Four you will find in books, and the one you will find in the land they call holy. We have the opportunity to see the places where this book originates, where our faith originates. There are so many people today that are walking away from the faith and they don't know what they're walking away from. They don't know that it's grounded in history. And so to walk the places where Jesus walked, to see and to experience, I think St. Jerome is right. You know, a little bit about St. Jerome, we went to a place in Bethlehem, it was a small cave, He lived in this cave for 35 years. I think we might have the picture here. So down here in this cave is where he lived for 35 years, translating the scriptures into Latin, the Vulgate. That's the one who said, 
there's another gospel. If you walk this gospel, if you live out this gospel, it'll change your life. We had a baptism there. Got to go to the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Uh, Baptized Karen Fitzgerald there. And so Karen's a part of our congregation and so we praise God for that. It was awesome. And um, to me, one of the places that just blew me away and I love so much was the Sea of Galilee. And so this is a picture. Woke up early in the morning. Me and James walked down to the, the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee and I'm thinking to myself, this is the same sea. We went out on it. This is the same sea where Jesus walked. Same place where he calmed the storm. Same place where he called his disciples. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, all of this is coming together. And, and so my encouragement to you is this. Like, just as a part of the rhythm of our discipleship, we're just going to build into that rhythm that we're going to go to Israel. And, and I'm just telling you, like, I wish I went in my 20s. Just turned 40. Wish I went in my 20s. That's how important this is. And so the fact that we live in a time where we can go and see this, you can jump on a plane and go. You know what I mean? Like that is incredible. Friends, we we live in an amazing time right now where there's so many people that are questioning their faith. This will build your faith. I promise you it will build your faith. And so I'm going to do everything I can. If you're like, well, I can't afford it, all that stuff. I've already got people who said they want to sponsor. Like, we're going to do this. And so I just came back with this passion and this vision of like, I I want to make sure that if you want to go, if you want to grow in your faith, like, we're going to do this. And that's just a part of the rhythm of our discipleship probably. uh, Could be as soon as 2024, but for sure 2025. We're going to go. And And I just want you to walk because this book, and I'll just end with this because I can go on forever, but this book is not an American book. We are not the center of this book. God is the center of this book, and he's calling all nations to look around and see people of all nations coming and saying, Jesus is just as much for me as he is for you. And to see that God has preserved for himself a people Right? And to, to, to look and see and, and, and experience and learn from the Jewish people was such a gift. Such a gift, such a blessing. And so that's my pitch, okay? That, that, that's like, that's super important. And I'm just telling you, please, please, please put it on your list of something to do because it's, it's a great gift that we have the opportunity to do this. Okay, so we're going to go to our text today. Um, Our text is from Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Um, And our series that we've been going through is called Ancient Wisdom for a Modern World. Ancient Wisdom for a Modern World. Much of the wisdom that we get today is very young, isn't very old. People are telling us this is what you need to do with life. So we need to go back and root ourselves into the ancient wisdom. This is the ancient wisdom that God has laid out long before. 
What does this say? How does this teach us? That's what we've been looking at in the book of Proverbs. Um, As we've looked at before, Proverbs uh, mostly was written by King Solomon. Solomon is the son of King David. Um, Got to see this beautiful place in Gedi, which was the same place where uh, David ran from Saul. Uh, Saul chased him and in the cave, I don't know if you just go read about it, (laughs) but basically he he cuts a little sliver off of uh, Saul's uh, garment but that same place, and so we got to go there. But, but all of this is rooted in history, friends. And so the lineage that we're looking at is a royal lineage here. This is a king sharing wisdom with us, saying anybody will listen, anybody will come and surround it and just, just come to it. I want to share this with you. And so that's what we have today. And today we are looking specifically at why work ethic matters, why work ethic matters. Now, last week, Jonas did a great job in sharing with us where faith and work intersect and that God has given us work, right? Work came before the fall. And so this work has meaning. It has purpose. So thank you, Jonas, for sharing last week. See, what does it look like to be a Christian a follower of God a, in everyday life. That's what Proverbs is about. See, how do we live wisely where our life and our faith intersect in where we live and how we approach our work and, and important decisions that we make? There's this big word theology, right? Theology is, is the study of, of, of God, like the, the things of God. Theo, God, right? Like it, it's the study Okay, so what does God have to say about work, about ethics? We've looked at rest and what that looks like. What does it look like to to be in positions of authority, leadership, the importance of that? This is really interesting. Eugene Peterson once said, most of what Jesus said and did took place in a secular workplace. Work doesn't take us away from God. It continues the work of God. God comes into view on the first page of our scriptures as a worker. Once we identify God in his workplace working, it isn't long before we find ourselves in our workplaces working in the name of God. And so we've talked about this, right? All of this intersects together in our faith and our work, all of that matters to God. If you think about the life of Jesus, Jesus walked this earth, and there's this period where they call it the, the, the silent years, the, the, the years that we don't know about in Jesus' life. Why are there these hidden years? It reminds us that the simple, everyday things of life matter to God. See, we want to fast forward to when Jesus turns 30 years old and then his ministry starts. But what about before that? He was a carpenter, worked with his hands, right? And so what we see is that those things matter to God. See, Jesus didn't just come on the scene as this philosopher, a great ruler. He came as a worker, a Jewish carpenter. See, we can see our work as either our job, 
It's just a necessary evil to life. I've got to work. We can also look at work as our God. It's this place where I find my security, my identity. Or we can look at our work as what the Bible would say, our calling. That it was God's intended design for life when he looked at you and gave you specific gifts and abilities that are unique. Today, we're going to look at this word, work ethic. So what does that mean? Well, the term ethics derives from the ancient Greek word, ethikos, which is derived from ethos. It's this habit or or custom. And as Christians, what are our ethics for work in a world where many believe there is no real standard of morality, maybe beyond just HR? You've got the big HR book, you know, you, you get hired onto a job, they say this is what the ethics are of our company, but is that the standard that you live by? Maybe the book's this big, maybe it's like this big. But ethics. Living in San Diego, we know it's kind of like, you know, what's right for you is right for you, what's right for me is right for me. And in the workplace, we all know that we need some kind of standard of ethics, morality. Again, that's why we have HR departments. In one TED Talk, a man named Damon Horowitz argues that we need some type of moral operating system. And he says this, he says, I'm here to ask, what's the right thing to do? We have a responsibility that is proportional to our power or authority. He says the answer is that we demand the exercise of thinking from every sane person. Every sane person. So this is a TED Talk on ethics. And so what he does is he, he pulls Plato into it. Again, ethicos. He says, what if there, he talks about Plato, he says, what if there's some type of pure form of, of justice? He says, Plato wanted to solve the role of ethics in society. But here's the thing. In Christianity, we don't just come up with a form of ethics that we have. We receive them. We receive them from God. God is the standard of our ethics. And so the question that needs to shape our ethics is this. Micah 6, 8 says, what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? Again, in the New Testament, it says that you don't work for just your boss or the people around you, but you you work for God. Micah's response was this, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice. When in a position of authority where there can be change to help those who are oppressed, who are weaker in the eyes of the world, who are wronged, to stand up. Love kindness, do good, not out of an obligation, but out of a spirit of generosity, grace, and loyalty 
walk humbly to bring our life into conformity with God's will and his word. See, that's what we're looking at here. And so what does God teach us about our ethic for work and why does it matter? Well, in the text, we, first, uh, we are first encouraged to uh, do this. Number one, consider the ant. Number two, learn its ways. And number three, value your time. So that's what we're going to look at from today's text, but to consider the ant, to learn its ways, to value your time. And so if you're taking notes, the first one is to consider the ant. Look at verse six. So again, Solomon's writing this. He says this, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So when he says to go to the ant, the, the advice is similar to that of Job 12.7, in which Job advises his friends to learn from the birds and the animals. We see it in the New Testament where Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Does not God take care of them? Look at the lilies of the field. Does not God clothe them? Right, God takes care of his creation. And so now we see that Solomon is saying, okay, I want you to learn something about the ant. If we're open to wisdom, we can learn from something as small as an ant. Takes humility, right? I'm bigger than the ant. (laughs) I know more than the ant. Well, actually, we don't. Go to the ant, and you can learn that God's creation is speaking all around us. Now, again, we want to stay in the restraints of what Scripture says. You're not going to learn everything from animals or from creation, but bound by what Scripture tells us, what can we learn? Well, we see this, that the going, go, is purposeful and intentional. This is us coming with a notebook and a pen ready to take notes. That's what this is. Now, some believe that this specific ant is the harvester ant found in the Eastern Mediterranean. One commentator says this about this type of ant in particular, and this is important for us. He says, ant is singular in the Hebrew, but is to be taken in a collective sense. The author is advising the learner to watch not one single ant, but a colony of ants at work. Not just one ant, but multiple ants working together. What we can learn is this, that poor work ethic has a collective effect. It doesn't just harm the individual, but it also harms the community. See, what are examples of how poor work ethic can impact a community 
as we think about the end. Let me give some examples. One is this. This can be convicting. Taking credit for the work of others. This can be a typical showcase of poor work ethic because when others take credit for other people's hard work, It can hurt the community. It, it can take away trust. See, it's when others have a hard time mentioning the team member's name who really did the work when giving the report, but starts to claim the idea as their own. This is a singular approach instead of a collective approach. Extended breaks. What can happen is we see that we take our break, but we think that we deserve more than other people. And so the individual, feeling like they deserve more, can take from the community, and it can hurt the community around them. Preferential treatment. Well, I just like this person better than this person, and so I'm going to... What happens is unfair and unethical favoritism that hurts the community. Gossiping. Spreading rumors that are untrue about others to lift ourselves up. See, these are all self-focused things that can break down the trust of a community. Go to the ant. See, these are just some of the effects. But next, it says, consider her ways and be wise. Now, consider means to observe, reflect on, ponder. Be wise, in the Hebrew, is a command addressed specifically to what the Bible calls the sluggard. Now you're going to see the, the, the sluggard kind of come up throughout the book of Proverbs, but the sluggard is somebody who's just so focused on themselves that they will hurt others at the expense of their own comfort. They don't even realize it. They're just so unaware of others needs and feelings and emotions and what's going on with them that they don't even know that it's happening. When the Bible talks about the sluggard, it's almost comedic how out of touch with reality the sluggard is. But what this is, it's a call for all of us to look and say, could there be hope? See, remember, as we've been looking at, the, the Bible says that anyone can gain wisdom if they're willing to humble themselves before the source of wisdom, which is God. And if there are creatures that are as small as ants that can teach us something, then there's hope for any of us. My brother's a Marine. He's about to retire from the Marines He's been in the Marines for 20 years. 
he, he says, um, the, what he calls this, if he, were to, if he were to explain it, it's called a tune-up. He, t- he tells me, he's like, Randall, you understand, I got these, some of these young guys coming in. I, I had to give them a tune-up. Like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, they just don't understand. They don't get it. You know what I mean? So I got to give them a tune-up. And, and that's, that's what I think about. It. It, this text is like a tune-up. Right? It's, it's in your face. It's confrontational. But it's, it's with a purpose. Like we need a tune-up. That's what this is telling us. That if there's an ant that can teach us something, then we need a tune-up. Okay, then what, what is it? Well, second, it says learn its ways. Look at verses 7 through 8. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Now, let's start with this. Without having any chief officer or ruler, what this is about is about integrity, right? This is about doing the right thing when no one else is watching. And so the question is, are we only working when someone is looking over our shoulders or are we doing the right thing whether others are watching or not? Because there's three terms that are used here, chief, officer, and ruler. Now, the purpose in using these three terms is to emphasize that the ants do not require elaborate HR books to keep them on track. They don't need someone looking over their shoulder for them to work hard. The point is, as one translator says, ants don't have leaders. What's the point? Well, some call this today like a, having, a, if you were looking at an application and, and, and all the lists of, of things that, that you have to have, it would say probably something like self-leadership or you're self-guided. You're proactive. And so the question is, how can we grow in, in being that? It says, look at the end. Consider his ways. Next it says, she prepares her bread in summer. Now, prepare is to store up or gather. This is putting away for a rainy day or preparing for hard times. It's preparing in season and out of season. And what happens when that's the pattern of life? Well, in 2020, there were some biological researchers who wrote an article about the harvester ant. And they talked about the impact of the harvester ant in the Mediterranean. And here's what it's entitled. Harvester ants as ecological engineers for Mediterranean grassland restoration impacts on soil and vegetation. This is researchers, right? This isn't like in my commentary about the text. This is researchers who are looking specifically at the harvester ant, and they call them ecological engineers. That's how intentional they are. And, that, and so when, when God's word says, look at, look at these ants, like it's not just telling us just to go do that, but 
researchers are finding out that there's, there's something about these ants that's, that's different. They said ant patches have accelerated the ecological recovery of Mediterranean dry grassland plants by directly and indirectly facilitating their reestablishment. These results illustrate the potential key role of ants as ecological engineers for the conservation and restoration of Mediterranean grasslands. They're out there doing good work, <laughs> right? And these are just these small little ants. Now consider what God could do through you. Lastly, it's this, value your time. Value your time. Verses nine through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I had this friend that would, quote the last those last verses all the time like 10 and 11 he just it's just like you know a little sleep a little summer a little and it was almost like this like you can't rest type of thing that he was like trying to i don't know put on me or <laughs> guilt or whatever i don't know what it was but um is that what this is is this just like some text is filled with guilt of you got to work harder and work, work more? We talked about God's path being one of taking rest. That's important. But what is this, what is this saying? Well, what this is, it's becoming personal. Do you see the, the words at the beginning there? How long? How long? It's a question, right? Like, how long will, will you lie there? How long will you continue in this pattern? Whatever it is. This is about time, right? When? When will you arise? When? Why is this important? Well, when gathering crops at harvest time, workers would work long hours. So as they wouldn't leave the grain too long in the fields. Now, what it's saying is that the sluggard, however, is seen as someone sleeping through the harvest. They're basically just wasting their time. I'll get to it later. I got time. I'll do it later. They just keep pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off. And if you've done that before, Right? You, you probably pulled a, the all-nighter trying to finish that paper or whatever and you had plenty of time to do it and then you say, yeah, I didn't have any time. It's, it's, well, I just wasn't being wise. It's not that I didn't have time. I just didn't take it seriously. See, the question here is, when will you arise from your sleep? Now, all of this is in the context of a teacher and student relationship. And the teacher sees more than the student. The teacher sees more than the student. It's not only about doing the work, but it's also about doing the work at the proper time. Now, verse 10 uses the word slumber, which suggests being drowsy from a lack of activity. You get to the point where you're just like, you, you've rested so much that now it's just turned into, I can't do anything. 
I don't want to do anything. <laughs> See, what this is, it's about, it's not just about, it's, oh, I just need to, to rest and rest is bad. That's not what this is. This is about wasting our lives, the precious time we have. Have you ever said to yourself, I wish I would have known this or, or done this sooner? I've wasted so much time. How much more should we say this in the digital age that we live in? The device, all that it is, it's made to take away time from you. That that is, it's pulling you in. It is designed for you and me to waste our time. How do we feel after binging for hours on social media, YouTube videos? How do we feel? Not great. But this world is designed to take your attention. That's, that's, what, it, that's what you are paying. And the question we need to ask is how long? Your life, every moment, is a gift from God. How long? Right, verse 11 ends with this. And poverty will come upon you like a vagabond. Here, poverty uh, in the the Hebrew is like, it refers to having no means to support yourself, a lack of goods or money. My hope is that we don't get to that point. But it's a warning, right? A vagabond that's talking about here, like a vagabond, it, it, it means a person who, who's just a wanderer, who never plants roots, who never really has a home, but just going from place to place to place to place to place. Not, not really established. What does our generation look like? It's just like, let me jump from this place to this place, do this thing to this thing. It's like everything is just put in front of you like this is what life really is about. What does it look like to plant roots? Right, because when it talks about a robber or a bandit stealing your life, when we waste our time like that, we're gonna look back and say, what did I do with all this time? I wish I could go back. I wish I could do it over again. But we don't get that chance. One, one commentator, Derek Kidner, says this. This won't be on the screen, but he says this. The wise man will learn while there is time. He knows that the sluggard is not just some random person, but as often as not is an ordinary person who has made too many excuses too many refusals, too many postponements. It has all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. Right, to this generation, what do we say? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. How do we live in alignment with this? Well, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says this. He says in 2 Thessalonians, 
3, 6 through 12. Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. The tradition. Okay, so it's coming back to this ethic from, from, from Scripture. It says, for you yourselves know that you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Again, their, their heart was not to live me-centered, focused on me. How is this making my life progress? But how am I helping those around me? Right? The thing about Jewish culture that I, I, I thought was just so beautiful is they actually believe what the Hebrew scriptures say. They work it into the rhythms of their life. One of the, the things they talked about was just that with the Jewish, uh, with the Israeli military, one of the things they take is they take from, um, from Judges, Gideon, the, the life of Gideon. You remember Gideon was like the reluctant leader? But one of the things that Gideon said is, he says, I'm going first, do as I do. And so they said in in and the way that they lead is, is that you lead by example. You lead by going first. You don't say, hey, you, go, charge. And you say, yeah, I'm going first. That's the type of leadership Jesus said as well. He went first. Right, so it's, it's built in to the way that we see the tradition of, of God's word. And so we see in the life of Paul, he says, it was because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. How many of us can feel like busy bodies, not getting anything done? But he says, I want to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because that's the gospel. See, we can just feel so weighed down and say, there's no way that I, I, I can meet these expectations. I mean, that's a lot. Like, I, I think about myself all the time, and I've actually put myself above others and in front of others to get what I want. I regret these things that I've done. Friends, there's grace. There's a fresh start. Because he says, in the Lord Jesus. See, if that wasn't in there, then it's just like, okay, well, I just got to go work really, really hard now and prove myself. No, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you work quietly? Earn your own living. Like, I don't have to prove myself anymore. My ethic for work can be quietly serving God, trusting him, that even when people don't recognize me 
And they don't give me that pat on the back that I'm looking for. And they didn't give me that recognition at work that I've been looking for. And people are taking credit for things that I did. That God knows. That he commends me and he looks at me and he says, it's okay. To do our work in the Lord, to be quiet, right? Like to quietly do this. See, what this is, is willing to live in the obscurity of the silent years like Jesus lived without making it a showcase about ourselves. That's the call. To have that type of work ethic that even though people don't necessarily see what you're doing, that God sees it. And that the greatest encouragement that you could have is not gonna be from any person saying, hey, well done, good job. But it's gonna be from Jesus himself saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. See, that's the good news of the gospel. And so just some takeaways. How can we apply this to our lives? By seeing that, number one, work ethic uncovers our beliefs. It uncovers what we believe. I can say that I believe something, but if it doesn't show in my actions, then it really shows what I'm believing. See, remember that we can see our work as either our job and our work ethic displays that. I just do the minimum. It's just a necessary evil to life. We can look at it as our God and we can put in 80 hours a week, not take any rest, not take any Sabbath, just completely like put, put that to the side and destroy I mean, the, the most important community around us. Family, friends, right? They can do that. Our calling. If I see it as my calling, then I'm gonna take everything that I do and say this is to you, O oh Lord. I'm gonna serve you and what I'm doing. And Lord, those moments where I don't wanna be here and I don't wanna put up with this today, Lord, I'm gonna need your strength to help me. Help me, teach me, Lord. Teach me the ways of the ant. Because I need your help. The next one is this. Effectiveness is better than efficiency. Now, efficiency is good, right? But you can be efficient at the wrong things. We can be. I look into my 20s, and I became really efficient at things that didn't matter <laughs> and kind of missed out on some of the things that really did matter. And so are we effective for the kingdom? Are we effective at our job? Are we effective at what we're doing? and making an impact because a part of effectiveness is being a blessing to others. Being a blessing to others. 
The next one is this. Your work has an eternal impact. Your work has an eternal impact. This quote from Timothy Keller from Every Good Endeavor. If you haven't read that book, I encourage you to, to read that book. It could be very helpful. He says this. He says, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. Can matter forever. So you don't know why God puts you in some of the places that you're at right now. You don't know why you place it. You just think it's because that's my job and that's what I'm doing and that's how I make money. Like that's, that's only part of it. But there's an eternal impact that you could be making right in that space that God is calling you specifically to do and to be a part of. Lastly, it's this. Jesus confronts and heals our brokenness. Jesus confronts and heals our brokenness. Here's the gospel today. So as we wrap up here, in John 5, 1 through 17, there's this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And so we got to go see where this pool is. It's, it's literally right outside of where the temple would have been. And so they would have took different... Um, sacrifices here to wash them and then take them to the temple uh, for sacrifice. But also, uh, there were people that would sit there and wait. Um, some would beg because they were lame, and so that was their living. They were professional uh, beggars that they would sit there at this place. And so, in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. And here's what it says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So you always say you go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's the highest place. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And so we could put up the picture here of Bethesda. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had, been an in, uh, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now here's the thing that's specific, and you'll see it in the Greek, but with this specific invalid, it says that he was the way he was because of his sin. He lived a sinful life. And so to the point where he destroyed his body. And so all that he's got left is he's just sitting there at this pool waiting, begging, asking for help. And Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus says to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. 
Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. It's going against the HR policies here. Not supposed to be doing that. And at once the man was healed. Not supposed to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Maybe we've gotten to this place where we feel like we're paralyzed. We feel like we can't get out of the rut that we're in because we just wasted so much time. And Jesus is saying, you want to be healed? You want to walk? Do you really? Okay, it's time to pick up your mat and walk. Don't live in sin any longer. Come to him. He says, my father is working. He's been working from the very beginning. From the creation of the world, God was working. And he says, and I am working. And so do you see the work that Jesus has done? Do you see the greatest work that's been done for us on the cross? Do you see that Jesus resurrected from the dead and said, you want to walk? Come to me. I'll teach you my ways. It'll be different. It's going to be different than the Pharisees. They're going to make you feel terrible. But just walk with me. And I'll teach you my ways. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you confront our brokenness, you heal us from the inside out, and um, Lord, we come to you, we ask that you teach us your ways. We look at your creation all around us, and we look at your word, and we see that we can learn. We have so much to learn. I have so much to learn, Lord. Humble our hearts. No longer do we need to sit there waiting for somebody else to to just take us to that pool and maybe something's going to happen. No, it's Jesus, that was you. You're the pool that washes and cleans and makes well and makes better. And so we just come to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.